Welcome Browns fans to the first edition of what will be a new Browns Film Breakdown concept here as we join the Blue Wire Podcast Network, something I'm very excited about. It will be a venture that is going to be different for me. I have never done the solo podcast game. I came across the idea of jumping on a podcast with a good friend of mine, John Colosimo, uh, just before the season offered me the idea of branching into the podcast angle, and we took the idea of running with Browns Film Breakdown, the uh, Twitter channel that I had run there, and put a podcast label with it, and the goal was to get you guys a couple podcasts every week, and then the goal is, is was just to inform people, and I thought we did a pretty good job of that. So John and I were just sort of doing that for fun, and it was a great venture for me. I'd been on several Browns podcasts that you guys have probably heard. Uh, Jeff Lloyd does an awesome job with Locked On Browns. Um, I've been on with you know other folks uh, surviving the season. Dogs by Nature, some different podcasts here and there that I've really enjoyed jumping into because I think that there's uh, several out there that do a great job, including 1085. I've jumped on with Anthony and Jack McCurry. They do a great job. But this this is an area of of uh, of, of Cleveland uh, Browns coverage that I think plenty of people do a really good job at. But I'm excited to give it my run. You know, see what I can do, bring on some great guests, and and get, give an angle to coverage that is sort of analytic, X and O in nature explaining why things are happening that's really been the goal for me the whole time if you've known where I've come from over the past year at waiting for next year the OBR uh, touching on cleveland.com every once in you know once a week on different angles schematically my goal has always been to take the average fans understanding of football um, sort of give perspective for the why it's happening so that we can have a better understanding of if things are going right, this is why it's going right. And if things are going wrong, this is why it's going wrong. There's never an agenda to be had. That's always been my goal. I try to be as fair as I possibly can be in analysis. You know, we're all humans in nature, so some things can carry over from time to time. But, you know, my goal has always been, like I said, to to keep things as even keeled and fair as possible to to provide people with an understanding of, of, you know, who's playing well for the Browns, who's not playing well for the Browns, and if the coaches are doing a well enough job. So that's been the goal. The goal for, for, for this concept moving forward is, is to bring on smart, intelligent, passionate guests about this, 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 this team, this franchise, the city. That will, that will certainly be the biggest thing I look to do. It's going to be once a week venture. I'm excited about it. I think we can get some good people. Kevin uh, Jones, who's the owner of Blue Wire, came to me a month ago with this idea after hearing me on Ted Wynn's Coffeehouse Stunt. Uh, thinking that this would be something that would be quality for Cleveland's market and, and especially the podcast game. So uh, I kind of sat on it for a while and, and, and let it stew. And I think it, the timing is right. You know, the, the circus of events that we saw the last week, I think we deserve to get some good coverage out of this. And that'll be, that'll be my goal. So again, if there's breaking news, which we had, you know, earlier this week with the firing of Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackson and, and, and Todd Haley, we'll try to bring in somebody who can give us perspective on that, and that'll be the goal today. So we will bring in Nathan Zagura here in just a little bit. Obviously, a big figure in the industry up in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Browns Daily host, sideline reporter, all that good stuff. Um, he, he will be able to provide us with a little insight and then just talk about personnel and where they're at and the mentality going forward. And, um, you know, we can't can't get all the answers we probably want but we can at least get some perspective we might not normally get so that that'll be uh that'll be fun we'll have Nathan on here in a little bit but I do want to talk a little bit about last week Pittsburgh uh how that how that shook out for everybody I think the Browns are at you know they were at a crossroads offensively 
They obviously struggled a good portion of the game after the opening script, which I thought the opening script was put together really well. But after that script fell apart, I think quarters two, three, and then a good chunk of quarter four, the Browns had uh, only a few first downs. They did not muster very much yardage. I know that Baker started the game relatively hot, uh, close to 75 yards in the first uh, two or three possessions offensively. And then after the interception there in the at the beginning of the second quarter, up the right sideline, uh, the ball that was thrown to Ratley that Joe Hayden picked off, things just sort of fell apart. The Browns are, um, you know, personnel-wise, offense, they're obviously limited. They are playing, you know, two tackles who I think are running into some issues. Chris Hubbard less so than Desmond Harrison. Desmond Harrison is, is, is running into a sort of mid-season regression that you would expect from a rookie and probably played his worst game of the season. So again, when you bring in a rookie undrafted free agent tackle, uh, this is the sort of thing that can happen on occasion, that these guys will play poorly. You would expect it out of even your higher selected rookies, such as your first overall pick, Baker Mayfield, but you you, you certainly know that you could get this sort of slide in um, you know, ability or performance from you know, a, a rookie that is undrafted and is a little bit undersized for the position in terms of weight. And he was going to run into some issues, and we saw it here uh, against Pittsburgh in week one, which was his worst game according to Pro Football Focus. And now uh, week eight against Pittsburgh again, another one of his uh, worst performances is um, Bud Dupree gave him plenty of plenty of problems. So um, that'll be something the Browns have to address. And you can address that sort of issue schematically. You can, you can have backs that line up and chip on their way out to routes. You can have tight ends who line up and chip on their way out on routes. You can have inline tight ends who get a hand on before they head out uh, to do anything. Or you can double from inline tight ends. What I mean by inline is somebody in a three-point, um, uh, you know, the three-point stance. You can, you can do any number of things schematically. You can pull a tight end from the opposite wing and, and uh, you know, sell run action across the field to slow down a defensive end with extra help. There's there's a lot of things that we can we can see teams do, um, you know, through schematics that can help poor uh, poor tackle play. That is something that I think you probably need to see the Browns do more of. And hopefully the new offensive coordinator here, Freddie Kitchens, can understand that, avoid so many five wide situations right now for a group that can't handle it, and and give them some help because that's going to be pretty vital to the group. Uh, even Chris Hubbard in the, in the second half of the season because, you know, at, at the end of the day, the Browns have to understand – uh, from 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 the hierarchy standpoint in the coaches' offices, that that winning is probably on the back burner at this point for this group. You just want to see the young players progress, and you certainly want to see Baker Mayfield continue to grow in his understanding, in his ability to to trust his teammates uh, within an offensive setting. I mean, the offense likely changes next year, but you just want to feel that he's getting better. And, and the game is slowing down for him. And right now the game is moving quick for him because he's worried about what's going on at right and left tackle all the time. So that's going to be important, how they sort of scheme for those uh, situations where they're leaving their tackles vulnerable. That, 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 that will be something to pay attention to, in, in, in my opinion. So, you know, eventually you need your players to play well. I'm not, I'm not missing that point on these guys being able to handle blocking, but um, – you know, there are things that coaches can do to help. And now that I think um, we, we, we've seen a different perspective or we will see a different perspective, that, that might help. Um, another thing, angle to consider is what they do with Austin Corbett. Does it does it merit if we see another poor performance from 
Desmond Harrison, does that mean they, they slide Batonio back out to left tackle and then play Austin Corbett at left guard? That'll be something to pay attention to, but I don't think they're in that sort of panic mode right now. But, uh, you know, that's the Browns offense is living and dying with protection right now, and that's that's a big problem, and it was a big problem Sunday. And if they're going to continue to grow, get better as a group, they have to find a way to give Mayfield some time. And, and that's um, that's that would be uh, primary target number one in terms of improvement for, for Freddie Kitchen. When you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, you're going to know how well they played early in the game. I thought they had Pittsburgh pretty confused, uh, struggling to find a rhythm. I think they were getting after Roethlisberger a little bit, and, and Pittsburgh could have been a little you know, groggy coming out of the bye week. All of those things are certainly possible. But then Pittsburgh found some answers. They did a little bit of the tackle – or sorry, did a little bit of a DN trap, did a little bit of dart here and there too. And that gave their run defense some troubles. Early in the game, I didn't think it was much of a problem, but it grew into being a problem later in the game as the Browns just aren't giving any of their secondary defensive linemen uh, much of a shot. Chris Smith it seems to have disappeared. Anthony Zettel they don't trust. Carl Davis, I think, was inactive again. They are not playing or rotating as much as they need to on the defensive line. And you see later in the game, it's just it's a wear-down effect. Miles Garrett... Emmanuel Agba, Larry Ogunjobi are playing such high volume number of snaps, and even Jannard Avery is now too with the injury to Schobert in the middle of the defense. So it's 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 a bit of a problem. They need to find a way to trust their uh, secondary defensive line rotation because if they don't, they are going to see I think some late season injuries to important players, and it's only going to affect them as the game wears on. You know, if your defense is on the field, it's going to be a problem. If they're spending a majority of the game on the field, they're just going to wear down. It's too it's too challenging challenging on them in playing reactionary football over a long period of time like that. So the Browns offense has to find ways to help that defense. The defense, I continue to say, and, and Football Outsiders DVOA statistic will say this too, they're, they're doing well enough to win games. They're leading the league in turnover rate. They have to find ways to score points. They couldn't score points early in the game off turnovers, and that is what really ended up costing them that game when you look at the whole thing. You know, when you're only able to get a couple field goals off of those turnovers, it's going to uh, eventually catch up with you because Pittsburgh found a rhythm as as time wore on and, uh, you know, hit a couple big plays here and there. And the Browns all of a sudden found themselves down a couple scores with the inability to move the football whatsoever. So, you know, here I'm going to have Nathan Zagura jump on in just a moment, guys, and, and sort of give his opinion on on some of the things that happened earlier this week and talk about personnel and what the Browns future is going to look like and how these eight games will shake out and what the goal will be for these eight games and maybe touch on some coaching candidates as well. All right, guys, lucky enough to welcome in um, a name that everybody is super familiar with, if you're familiar with the Browns, and and, and Nathan Zagura. He does Cleveland Browns Daily, uh, obviously their sideline reporter as well. So, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't have picked a better first guest for uh, the Browns film breakdown here. And, and, and Nathan, hey, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, it is my pleasure to be on. I've, I had the opportunity, obviously, to watch you and grow on Twitter and the Browns film breakdown, something that I is kind of destination watching or viewing for me on Mondays after I go through my own film and write, you know, watch the tape and, and write my own notes. And I think you do a great job. So I'm thrilled to be on with you and happy for you that you're getting this opportunity because I think it's well-deserved and well-earned. Hey, I appreciate that very much, uh, very much. Yeah, let's. I know you're a busy guy. you got your own show to go to. So I want to talk a couple big uh, you know, con- points of contention this week 
surprised everybody. Just sort of the reaction around, um, you know, you're in the building around Berea, you know, with, with uh, I listened to Cleveland Browns Daily when you guys did the live show. Everything was kind of coming in. That was pretty crazy to listen to. So, yeah, what's uh, what's the vibe? Everything kind of picking up later in the week? Well, obviously, yeah, you know, you realize that the NFL season does not stop. The Kansas City Chiefs are coming in on Sunday. But I thought Monday was, you know, one of the days I'll never forget in my time here with the Browns. And as you mentioned, as we were live on CBD, we know I had, you know, known about the Hugh Jackson thing. I had spoken with Hugh earlier that morning. So uh, I knew that was coming. And Hugh obviously is a very good friend of mine. And so on a personal level, very sad to see him go. Uh, But when we're on the air, and I think it was about 107, all of a sudden the report about Todd Haley came, and that is usually we are plugged in. Usually we know everything. That's one of the great things about being in the building and the relationships I've built here, but that one caught us completely off guard. And so if anybody who was watching that live stream on YouTube uh, certainly got to see on my face and my co-host Bo Bishop's face genuine surprise, and it was kind of one of those things. And, and I said on the air at the time, this is just a sign to me that things that have been tolerated or things that had happened here in the past we're no longer going to be tolerated and there's not going to be any of that kind of you know discord or leaking to the media or things like that not at all yeah good to see a step forward in that department and and this will be an important time of year so so i'll ask you this this is sort of a two-part question what do you think um you know, from, from being around these guys all the time as you are, you know, Greg Williams is named the head coach. So the, the first part of the question is, you know, how do you think Greg will handle the duties, the, the media, all of that? And then what do you think Freddie Kitchens brings to, uh, you know, the offensive side of things? I know we only got a small glimpse of him week four of the preseason there calling plays, but, you know, what do you think his, uh, his skill set will be helping out Baker in the offense? You know, when you look at it, it, from Greg Williams' standpoint, it's something he's done before as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. He He's done a great job and commands his side of the ball. And so I think one of the things they were looking at is how do we create an environment that is, you know, more accountability, more detail-oriented, more focused, and et cetera, for this very young football team. And Greg on the defense, we see all the bluster. You see that on hard knocks. You see him, you know – making his crazy statements and having that kind of, you know, wild attitude. But at the same time, I've had the opportunity to talk to many people who have played for him currently, but also in the past, what Greg Williams will do is, yes, he will give you some of that tough love, but he will give you a lot of real positive love back as well. And he also isn't afraid to point the finger at himself when, you know, he makes a bad call and can be, you know, self-deprecating and also just very self-aware. And I think that engenders a lot of love and respect from his players. And so, I think that's kind of the environment they want from the whole team. Uh, and not to say that players didn't love Hugh because they did and they played hard for him always, but I think they just kind of want that kind of forceful leadership style that Greg Williams will bring. So I think he's equipped to handle all of it. You look at the defense, they lead the league in takeaways. They've made massive improvements from a year ago. So you feel good about what he's able to do on that side of the ball. And then hopefully that translates obviously over to the entire team. As for Freddie Kitchens, you know, a lot has been made about the fact that Freddie did in fact call the plays in Detroit and that was Baker Mayfield. They scored on each of the first three possessions in that game, which was a good thing to see. And, and, you know, I think Freddie, and just my brief opportunity to talk to him, he's a guy that believes in 
creating things that your players do well. And so I think what we'll see with Baker, because it, it did seem to me, and I know you break this down as much as anybody, that the Browns offense when Baker came in against the Jets versus the Browns offense that we saw against the Steelers and even the couple of weeks before that, almost morphed back into the Ben Roethlisberger, drop back, shrug a guy off, and playmakers are going to make plays. Now, you don't have the playmakers. You don't have the line that you had in Pittsburgh either, and, and Baker is not Big Ben. And so I think what with Freddie Kitchens, we're going to see more pre-snap motions. We're going to see more crossing routes. We're going to see more quick hitters for Baker to get the ball out and get it to guys in space where they can make plays, attack the seams more. And I think David Njoku, who had been very good prior to last week when he didn't receive a single target, will be a bigger part of the offense going forward. Yeah, excellent point. I think that, um, like you, you made a good note of of how they can attack with with kitchens, I think that they will they will likely need to do a little bit more um, to help the tackle play, and this sort of takes me to yeah. my next point. They'll they'll need to chip some tight ends, not leave tight ends responsible for DNs, but but give you know on on Desmond Harrison's left side there, give a chip before somebody releases on a route, those sorts of things. Um, you know, we we we've actually had some discourse you and I about Desmond Harrison through Twitter, um, just sort of leading up to his year. How would you? How would you rate the decision that was made there? We obviously knew in the preseason that uh, Batonio was, uh, you know, quote unquote, Plan Z, and and it sort of manifested itself through the preseason. Uh, but then we saw the, the the sharp change going into Week One with Desmond Harrison. So if you could, I don't know, almost put a grade on on yeah. how that whole decision has gone, where would you where would you put that? I'd put I'd give it a a, a C plus. I think when you look at Desmond Harrison, he started off, I thought, well, uh, week one was a little bit of a struggle, but then had a, a real nice stretch for a couple of games. And now there's the tape on him. And the reason Desmond Harrison's there is because he's the one guy on our roster that possesses the physical gifts to be a long-term left tackle, a decade starter in the NFL. And that's not just you know my opinion. I've heard that from Joe Thomas and many, many others are in and around this building and really around the league, just in terms of physical gifts. What he has not mastered is technique. And that's what technique is what allowed Joe Thomas, who is not physically as strong as Desmond Harrison even is now, to have functional strength. And I think for Desmond, the biggest thing for him going through this offseason is going to be to improve his physical strength, but also his functional strength. Because if somebody tries to go around the edge on him, for the most part, he has that one hand and shoves him to the ground. And he has more aggressive finish on his blocks than really anybody on our line. But he also has been susceptible to the bull rush. And we've seen that collapse the pocket around the outside. And that's what I mean. The technique and the functional strength needs to be there. Did I expect Desmond Harrison to be a finished product as an undrafted free agent coming in and starting at left tackle week one for the Browns? No. Do I think that what we are going to see over the next eight games is can he develop that counterpunch to what people have seen he, that he is susceptible to on tape? And that will be the most important thing, continuing to work on that technique so that he can have more functional strength on the field. But in terms of raw ability – for a guy who's never really been coached at the NFL level or had to master the techniques, I think you can see that it's there. You are going to have to help him. He was never going to be Joe Thomas in year one, but I do still think that in the ball of clay that is Desmond Harrison, you have everything you need to have a good left tackle for a long time. There are going to be growing pains, and I think we are experiencing some of those now, and that's why I think it's on Freddie Kitchens and Bob Wiley to come up with some schemes that help him in certain situations and allow this offense to continue to function uh, at, at a level that we needed to function at because it has not the last three weeks. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that, that he started out well, um, you know, like you said, and 
and teams have, have figured out some ways to attack him. And that, that you know, again, you, you do a nice way of segueing me to my next question. Again, with, with Baker Mayfield, we when you cut on the tape, you do see somebody, um, you know, against the Jets – even the Raiders, and even even Baltimore. When I when I stole some tape for, I wrote on uh, where he needs to be to get to the level of Patrick Mahomes, which is you know Patrick Mahomes is way out in left field in terms of what he's doing this yep. year. But but just sort of how you get him to produce like Pat Mahomes is producing. And as I watched the Baltimore game to pull some clips, it's it still felt like a different guy. So the last two weeks, are you? Are you concerned? I mean, I wrote a little bit on what Tampa Bay did to, you know, disguise some things, and he missed some people here and there, but he played better in the second half. Are you are you concerned with some of the things we're seeing from him? And, and, and you know, every rookie's going to have moments in a rookie season where the game just looks like it's moving really quick and they feel a bit overwhelmed. That happened to the great Peyton Manning, so on, et cetera. Sure. But, 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 but do you get the vibe being there, being around everybody, that the swagger, the confidence, the leadership, all that stuff's still intact going into? I know this is a big change and some sweeping changes to the offense are going to be a byproduct of these changes. So just sort of, you know, where are you at on the thought process with Mayfield? Are you concerned? Are you still on the encouraged side? I'm still encouraged. I think what happened, and I think you look at, you know, Baker, and you really take a step back for a second to think about it. I, I really believe what happened is a couple of things. Number one, he comes in in, a, in really a no-lose situation against the Jets, has that immediate success, right? It looks great. He's out there. He's ripping it. He's playing free. And I thought even against Oakland, he bounced back out that first interception, was still playing free. Uh, even into Baltimore, was playing free. They had the success. And then all of a sudden, he ran into some, some hardship. And I think that the criticism, and I remember Todd Haley at a press conference prior to the Tampa game that I thought was very critical of Baker Mayfield. And I thought, honestly, too critical of Baker Mayfield in the sense that he said, well, sometimes it's just not going to look good in the NFL, and you've got to throw it anyway and trust your first read and just you know, throw it, which, yes, I agree, you've got to stand back there and you've got to let it rip. But on the other side of it, it seemed to me that it made Baker Mayfield – timid in the first half of that Tampa Bay game, that he wasn't trusting what his eyes were seeing. I think it was well into the second quarter before he threw a pass more than seven yards in the air. And I think that kind of took something back. Then you're down 14. He plays a little bit free again in the second half of Tampa. But the Chargers game, he didn't see the field as cleanly as he had prior to that. I thought in the Steelers game, again, there were opportunities where he wasn't seeing it. And I think it all adds up in your head. And these guys can get a little bit shell-shocked. And part of it is – I think, you know, just being a rookie in the NFL and being the guy that, you know, stood up at the podium at the Combine, I was there and said, I'm the guy who's going to turn around Cleveland. And then you come out and you win your first game. You know, you then lose to the Raiders in a game actually that you won, but the, you know, the change of the spot at the end took that away. And then you beat the Ravens. And so he knew success, and this is his first taste of hardship. But I, it would, I'd have to imagine Baker's maybe never lost three games in a row at any point in his career. <laughs> And so how you deal with that will be very telling amongst all this turmoil. I still believe Baker Mayfield is the franchise. I believe that the Browns, the, the most important thing going forward the rest of the season is the nurturing and developing of Baker Mayfield. And I hope that Freddie Kitchens does some things, and I hope he steals some things from what Andy Reid is doing for Pat Mahomes or what Sean McVay is doing for Jared Goff, or even what Carmichael Jr. down in New Orleans and Sean Payton are doing for Drew Brees. They use so much pre-snap movement and, you know, the jet sweep motions. And then they run, basically, they run that jet sweep motion. They run three plays off of it. One time they'll give it to the receiver. One time it's actual handoff to the back. The next time it's the play action off of that where both guys are used as decoys. And 
the sameness of those looks. The Browns don't haven't, to my knowledge, I know we've tried a few times with the jet sweep motion, but we haven't done a lot of things that look exactly the same to the defense that give Baker those easy throws. You look at the windows that he's been throwing into, and they are much more contested than it seems like a lot of the good offenses in the NFL. And so I'm hoping that maybe a scheme change, and I realize that Freddie was brought in by Todd Haley and is from that school, but you know he spent a lot of time with Bruce Arians, a lot of time with Carson Palmer, and what I thought was a very good offense down in Arizona that certainly used the backs a little bit more in the passing game. I hope that he can do some of those kinds of things to help Baker have a little bit easier reads and then free him up. Say, listen, just go play the game. Go play. Have fun. Be loose. If you throw an interception trying to make a play, so be it. Those things are going to happen. The worst thing I think that could happen for Baker Mayfield is that he loses what is the essence of Baker Mayfield. And that's the confidence. That's the swagger. That's the gunslinger mentality because that's what makes him so good. Yeah, that's that's spot on. And I think you the big point that I took away and, and what I was encouraged by was that touchdown at the end of the game to yeah. um, you know set the value. It, it didn't mean much, but if you watch that throw, it's pretty impressive throw given what was coming around the valve and putting it in a good spot. And that that left me a little bit encouraged. But you mentioned the big the, the the window issue he's dealing with. I think he's leading, or at least in the top two or three of Pro Football Focus's tight window throws or big time quote unquote throws. And um, you know that that's it's tough. That's tough for a rookie to continually make tight window throws when the game is probably still moving a little quick and you're absorbing things. So um, yeah, it's going to be a big. It's a big eight weeks for him. These these two weeks leading into the bye week will be important, and then obviously coming out and closing the season on a good foot is important too. But that carries me. The the the, the, the last thing I really want to get into is 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 the rookie class in general. The the two guys on the defensive side of the ball that have stood out this year. Um, you know, every draft is going to have some guys where you know maybe don't hit, but this draft has had some. I think it's been a, it's been a home run by John Dorsey in terms of productive players in their rookie season and the two guys who always catch my eye continually defensively you know I'm not I'm not doing anything nobody else is doing when I break down film but um, you know just sort of talk to me about the feeling vibe around the two big time rookies that we've seen this year in Jannard Avery and, and obviously Denzel Ward. Yeah, Denzel Ward's come in and been an absolute lockdown corner for the Browns, playing as well as you know any rookie that I can remember. Uh, you know, since Marshawn Lattimore is kind of doing a Marshawn Lattimore impression from last mm-hmm. year with the Saints, who was a defensive rookie of the year. You got to love what you've gotten from him. Jannard Avery continues to make plays. Even last week, it was his pressure that once again led to a Ben Roethlisberger turnover. He's done that twice in two games against the Steelers, and we all know how important it will be for the Browns to beat the Steelers down the road. Um, and, you know, between those two on the defense defensive side of the ball, you've got at a minimum a lockdown corner and a great situational pass rusher, and I think Jannard Avery will only get better with more and more time in the NFL, but that's super encouraging on that side of the ball. Nick Chubb looks like everything you want out of a running back in today's NFL. The power, the speed, the home run ability, and that, which is something that has even surprised me. I didn't realize he had such a second gear because when you watch George, it seemed like he and Sony Michelle, he was more the thunder, Sony Michelle was more the lightning, but Nick Chubb has shown you know the vision, the burst, the balance, the ability to get through contact and really make a lot of big plays. So, yes, I think this rookie class has been great. A lot of people wonder about Austin Corbett, and you know maybe we see him at some point here in these final eight games, uh, the 33rd pick in the draft. But overall, you've got to be pleased with what John Dorsey has done. You nail picks one and four. You find a, a situational pass rusher at, in the fifth round, which is, you know, that's got to be considered a major, major home run. You've got your running back of the future, Nick Chubb, in the second round. We want to see more from Austin Corbett. I think we obviously want to see more as well 
well from Chad Thomas, who is you know more of a yeah. run-stuffing defensive end, but we haven't gotten to see much of him this year. But all in all, you're pretty happy with this draft class. And, you know, Derek Willies was undrafted. He's made some plays for you. Obviously, he's out with the injury now. And Damian Ratley, for a six-round pick that probably wasn't supposed to play, has shown things. And then Antonio Callaway didn't play football last year. And I think in an ideal situation, he's your third or fourth receiver, a guy that you're using situationally, giving him a package of plays that he feels really, really good about. But because of everything that's happened here this offseason and even into the season with the trading of Josh Gordon, he's probably been thrust into a role that he wasn't quite ready for. But you can see the natural God-given gifts that he possesses. And I believe in time, Antonio Callaway will be an excellent receiver for the Browns. Yeah, all great points. I think when you do the revisionist history thing, you can look at any draft and say we could have had X, Y, and Z. But if you just look, sure. at, yeah, you just look at who he brought in and how they're playing and the situations they're being put in, uh, invaluable experience, and, and it'll only help. It'll only help going forward. And like like you mentioned, Nathan, just just great talent too. Guys that will that will that will certainly stick around on Sundays and hopefully be a big part of the Browns' future. Um, but yeah, last question before I let you go, my man is 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 coaching. I know this is this is eight weeks away. They they probably made this move to get a head start. Just names, guys that interest you. Not not anybody you've heard or you're connected. None of that stuff just interesting names that you've heard or you sorry that you think might be a good fit in Cleveland head coaching wise come the offseason you know and it's hard for me obviously in my position to to even speculate on that I would love nothing more than for Greg Williams to go you know eight no here and for them to say we're we're going with that uh, but beyond that, you know, I think a guy like John Filippo, who spent some time here in this organization as the offensive coordinator back in 2015, has kind of risen through the ranks, would be a name that would make a lot of sense. I think you just want to find somebody who you feel can put in an offense that would work wonders for Baker Mayfield. And Filippo, with his time in Philadelphia, with Doug Peterson coming off that Andy Reid tree and the things they've done there with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, and now going to Minnesota, and you're seeing what he's doing with, with Kirk Cousins, that seems like a name that would make a lot of sense. I know a lot a lot of people will talk about from the collegiate ranks, guys like Dabo Sweeney's name has been thrown out there. Obviously, Lincoln Riley, the natural connection to Baker. But ultimately, what I believe, and I said this going into the draft, I believe John Dorsey is going to find, and his team will, will get the right people. And I believe going into this coaching search that John Dorsey and his team and the owners will find the right person to lead this football team. And I think Baker Mayfield and his development and a guy that works well for him and has a system that will work for him obviously will be the number one priority in this coaching search. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for answering that. And and I know it's a tough question right now. Nobody really wants to get into it all too much. But it will be a it will be a hot topic uh, as the year sort of unfolds. But guys, you can you can always expect to to get the best insight on Cleveland Browns daily. That's the you know the the gold standard for podcasting right now in this area. And uh, Nathan does a great job with it. And and you know he's returning to the sidelines, Cincinnati, right? That's right. Cincinnati, November the 25th. That's right, man. We can't wait to have you back. So that's Me awesome. Neither. Yeah. Hey, hey, thanks for coming on, Nathan. I couldn't, I couldn't really. Oh, my pleasure, man. Best of luck to you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, it was great, and we'll do it again soon. Inside the building at Berea, some great insights from Nathan Zagura there, and I think that you know, some of the things that he touched on with Baker Mayfield's development and that being a big part of the focus moving forward is going to be the primary goal for this organization going forward is to help him find success, help him develop the rest of the way. So leading into this week, obviously the Browns have uh, the, the Chiefs coming in. Chiefs are 7-1. and one. Only loss on the year is a loss at New England that they had a real chance to win there. 
tied it up late in the game. New England went down, kicked a field goal to win. They're they're obviously one of the AFC's premier teams right there. Um, you know, with New England and, and Pittsburgh is sort of in that mold too. It will be very interesting to see how the Browns come out, handle the uh, sort of circus that was this week and how the team responds to the situations that have happened and how they respond to Greg Williams as the as the new head coach, sort of interim, obviously the interim tag that comes with him. But yeah, that that's what's, what's going to be uh, difficult for the Browns and difficult for us to really predict how they're going to handle it. They could be an inspired bunch. That's what we're hoping for. But the Chiefs are obviously led by Patrick Mahomes, 2,526 yards on the year, completing uh, well into the 60% of his passes. He's 26 touchdowns, just six interceptions, a couple rushing touchdowns. Uh, Kareem Hunt, their dynamic running back, they picked up last year, won Rookie of the Year, um, just turned into a star. He has 592 rush yards on the year, five touchdowns, also 20 catches for 262 yards and five touchdowns through the air. Uh, They start their two big-time wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, uh, just an absolute burner on the outside. 44 grabs, 705 yards, seven touchdowns. Also ran 10 times for 45 yards. Sammy Watkins, who was the uh, number one for most teams in the league, but is the number two uh, guy there in, in Kansas City. Almost the number three if you talk about Travis Kelsey, but um, uh, the tight end. But Watkins has 34 for 453 on the year, three touchdowns. Travis Kelsey, their big-time tight end, another guy with Cleveland connections, having played his high school ball around uh, around the Cleveland area and. Uh, went to Cincinnati for college, but he has 44 catches, 642 yards, and uh, and four touchdowns himself. So he's big time, one of the premier tight ends in the league in terms of receiving. And Mahomes just absolutely loves to find a, a way to get him the ball. He's got just as many catches as, as Tyreek Hill. So that, that four-headed monster there is is what you have to watch out for with this group. Chris Conley does provide some support, just a, you know, a solid player, can run really well. 13 grabs, 104 yards, two touchdowns. So skill position-wise, one of the best in the league right there with the Rams. They you could even make an argument if you include Mahomes and uh, you know the look at the whole picture with the skill position players on offense that the Chiefs are as good as anybody, if not the premier team in the league in that department. Their bookend tackles Eric Fisher, who they drafted early, um, you know the first pick in the draft just back in 2013, uh, has come along nicely, plays left tackle for them. Uh, Old Brown, Mitchell Schwartz, who they never should have let go, is playing some of the best right tackle in the NFL right now. So he is he's their right tackle. And then another Browns connection, Cameron Irving's playing left guard, not playing very well. Hopefully somebody that Larry Ogunjobi uh, or Trevon Coley can take advantage of, or if they bump Emmanuel Ogba down inside, can take advantage of of, of Cam Irving down inside there. But the offensive line's playing well enough to get it done. I noted in the article this week that touched on Mayfield and Mahomes that the, the Chiefs pass-blocking efficiency is in the top three in the NFL, and they're giving Mahomes plenty of time to deliver the football. We will probably, I'm going to remove the word probably from that scenario, we will not see a better offense come into First Energy Stadium this year. The Browns will not face a better, more complete offense. Obviously, the Buccaneers put up yards through the air, um, you know, at, at, at a rapid pace, one of the best in the office in that department, but their best league in the league in that department. But they don't run the ball as efficiently as Kansas City can also run the football. So just to complete force offensively this group and something that will be really interesting to test a Browns defense that statistically is still rating okay overall um but but if you were to somehow remove some of those turnovers that have bounced their way I think we would be different so it'll be a great test for Greg Williams first time taking over the whole total show and we'll you know obviously test his ability to game plan for what is a dynamic uh, opposing offense defensively uh, they're a little all over the board. They don't have their longtime safety, Eric Berry, um, you know, playing right now. They're they're really led by D. Ford, whose his eight sacks are uh, you know the same number of sacks Miles Garrett has. 
Um, but he's he's one of their better players um, and, and really is playing some of his best football and one of the better football players in the league as an edge rusher right now. Chris Jones is playing probably their most consistent interior football. He's grading out around an 80 on pro football focus. They're, they're led at cornerback. Their two starters are continually Steven Nelson, Kendall Fuller, playing pretty solid overall. Not great football, low 70s. They're, they're susceptible to issues. The, the defense in total is is ranked towards the bottom half of the league in terms of just sheer production. They rank 31st in yards allowed. Uh, def- they, they have one of the worst pass defenses in the league, uh, continually giving up. Um, you know, quite a few passing yards, 29th in the league in that department, but they do a pretty solid job turning the ball over. They have uh, eight interceptions um, that they have generated, uh, only allowed 13 touchdowns through the air. So, um, you know, they're, they're susceptible, but they buckle down when it matters. They're, they're really poor in the run defense side of things. Um, no, none of their statistics are um, outside of 25th in the league. They're 25th in yards allowed, 29th in touchdowns allowed, giving up 10 rushing touchdowns, and yards per attempt are 32nd. So it is a defense that has been but don't break, and, um, you know, they, they will try their best to allow their offense to keep putting them in situations to win. I think the Browns should probably try to take advantage of Anthony Hitchens, who's uh, one of the worst pro football focus grades for a linebacker at 38.6. He's played 519 snaps for them this year, so he's on the field a lot. You know, getting Duke Johnson into situations where he can take advantage of him, the same with, um, you know, anybody that they put in the slot or getting David Njoku uh, in him and against him in certain situations too. And take advantage of him in the run game because, like I said, their run defense is, is one of the – uh, probably their Achilles heel in general. So the Browns have opportunities to score. You're going to really just try to keep Kansas City below 30 points. If you're able to keep them below 30 points, that's an accomplishment. But the Browns have to be able to put up points to to sort of combat them. And if you're going to win this game, what a Browns victory looks like in this sort of situation is something um, uh, either just a stunner in terms of the defense shutting down or Kansas City not being sharp, or if they're winning, it's 38-31, something crazy like that. So it will be the Browns' biggest test of the year in terms of a, a complete football team and especially the dynamic level that that offense is bringing uh, with Kansas City. So it will be uh, with the circus that we have seen this week and, and all of the changes that have come through, what we get on Sunday will be unpredictable, but yet it will be very fun to tune in and watch uh, how the players respond to it, how the coaches handle their new duties, all of those sorts of things. So that's a wrap. That That's how we'll close the first episode here of Browns Film Breakdown. You know, thanks again to Nathan Zagura for jumping on and joining us. Um, thanks again to Blue Wire for starting this whole podcast and allowing me to sort of anchor the whole thing for the Browns. And yeah, guys, we'll, we'll certainly be looking forward to hearing from you, uh, you know, with, with subscriptions and all of that stuff joining in. And any feedback you want to throw to me, throw it to me on Browns Film BDN Twitter account. Uh, love to have discourse, any guest ideas, anything like that. So again, Jake Burns signing off. As usual, guys, go Browns.